When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. This is editor Pat Prince. And once again, uh, we have as a guest, John Linsky, who is director of archives at what is called the Big House, which is basically the Allman Brothers Museum. Is that correct, John? Yeah, good morning, Pat. Thank you uh, for having me again. Always enjoy this. Yes, the Allman Brothers Band Museum at the Big House, 2321 Vineville Avenue, indeed, where the band lived from 1970 to 1973. And they crammed about 100 years of living and creativity into those three years there. So, yeah, Pat, that's it. And Macon, Georgia. All right, great. So you can basically go to the bighousemuseum.com to find out more information about that. And it's a great tourist attraction, especially for rock and rollers. Um, so John, we did an issue on the Allman Brothers. Um, you just got your issue and we, it's, it's a lot of stuff uh, in there. I, I think the, the writer did a great job, uh, Ray Chelstowski and co covering the Allman Brothers, the way, the way you guys keep on putting out quality releases, albums, you know, you not only keep the legacy alive, um, but you're keeping it, keeping the Allman Brothers on everyone's radar, which is a good thing because a lot of bands, you know, they don't have that backup. They don't have that push. Do you agree? I 100% agree. And I also agree, Pat, that Ray did an amazing job, great articles as he always does. You know, he does his homework, he does his research, he digs in deep, and he's a great writer. So, and the cover, fantastic cover, uh, we're very pleased with it. And yeah, you know, Pat, it, it's interesting the question you just asked, because um, we work as a team very hard to uh, continue to mine <laughs> for gems that are sometimes hard to find, because unlike the Grateful Dead, which had a huge, huge archive, obviously. The early years of the Allman Brothers, the it's it's not as easy. Um, the guys were kind of gypsies. They they uh, weren't like a lot of bands, probably more so than not, weren't aware of their history because it wasn't history. They were living in the moment. So the point is there's not a great, amount of quality soundboard tapes to work with uh we do our best and every now and then we come up with a gem and we certainly did with syria mosque pittsburgh january the 17th 1971 well people also need to remember how young you know Dwayne and greg for instance were i mean when you're that young 
I, I think you're you're only thinking about uh, playing your instruments and pushing ahead, but I'm not I'm not sure you're thinking about your legacy uh, 50 years down the road. Um, oh yeah, Pat. I mean, you're absolutely correct about that. When you're 22, as they were when they were living at the big house, they were more concerned about you know getting a gig next week. No one. Right. You know, when you're young, you don't think you live. You the, one of the good things about being young is you live in the moment, you know, and you can't envision being old. Uh, and I think the Almond Brothers were a classic example of that. And they, you know, it, it's such the the triumph and tragedy of the Almond Brothers is a whole different topic. Uh, you know, the fact that um, the fact that we're doing this today. Pat, Dwayne Allman's been gone twice as long as he was alive. Yeah. Uh, his time in the band, two and a half years, was like 5% of the band's history. I mean, when you wrap your head around that, uh, it's, it's quite a statement. Um, so, yes, to try to not only keep his legacy alive, but bring his legacy the awareness of his legacy to more people is our mission. And um, we work hard at it. We have a great team. And, you know, I think we do put out uh, the, the, the best live performance band history uh, that you can, period. Well, what I know record collectors love is that, you. I mean, let's face it you know bootlegs were important to record collectors they grew up on the stuff whether the band likes it or not but you guys have or bands um you guys have taken boot the way you take bootlegs and you freshen them up and release them officially is brilliant in my eyes because the fans are already familiar with this stuff and then you put it out and they can listen to it in better quality. You know, Pat, I'm, I'm glad you, you pointed that out because, um, and let me speak about the team because we are a true team. Bert Holman, who is the Allman Brothers manager and has been since, since 1991, Bert, his objective in many ways has been to um, beat the boots. And you're completely right about, listen, I bought bootlegs as, as a teenager. We all did. It was the only way to get some of that music. Right. But, you know, being aware of the band's history, wanting to put the best performance available out there, and quite honestly, you know, to get uh, proper payment to the musicians who wrote and performed this music, you want to make it an official release. Right. So Bert has put together a tremendous team. You know, he's he's the head coach, uh, no doubt. And, you know, we've got and we've been doing this for a while now. And it's, it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, Kirk West, the longtime road manager of the Allman Brothers, huge collector himself. Uh, Bill Levinson, uh, two time Grammy Award winning producer who's got the best ears in the business. Jason Naismith, who works with Bill up near the Athens, Georgia area in the studio, you can't find a better engineer. And then you have myself and Richard Brent, the executive director at the big house. 
And we all bring our strengths, our skills, our, our different personalities to the project. And the best thing about Bert is he trusts us to do the job. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny, Pat, there's times there's a, there's a yin and yang back and forth where like Kirk and myself are all about the performance, the performance, the performance, mm. you know, and Richard falls in there too. While uh, Bill Levinson and Jason Naismith are all about sonic quality, sonic quality, sonic quality. <laughs> and trying to please both parties uh, isn't, isn't always easy. And I guess, Pat, a good compromise leaves both sides a little unhappy, right? Uh, right. And that's what we end up with many times. But the fans well, certainly win in the end. They certainly do. Um, tell us a little bit about the latest live releases. Um, we'll start off with the Syria Mosque. And then we'll talk a little bit about live from A&R Studios. Okay. Uh, Syria Mosque... Um, it is from January the 17th, 1971. The band had never played Pittsburgh. They were looking for an opportunity. And Syria Mosque uh, was the perfect venue for the January 1971 lineup of the Allman Brothers Band. Uh, built in the 30s, I believe. Uh, home of the Pittsburgh Philharmonic. Great acoustics. Uh, about 3,400 seat capacity uh in the late 60s they started hosting rock and roll performances there the who uh was the first rock band to play there and that broke the ice um and so the brothers would actually end up playing syria moss twice in 1971 um which did lead to some confusion amongst uh, bootleggers and collectors etc but um we had two two shows to choose from, uh, January the 17th and October the 15th of 71. Um, the January show was a soundboard. That's why we chose it. The October show was an audience tape. And while there were some very good performances on there, uh, there's no question that January won out because of sonic quality and performance you combine those two it was really a no-brainer and now the the a and r studios um that came out a little bit before the the syria mosque correct oh yes uh a and r came out about five years ago originally and it was a radio broadcast um from new york in August of 71, a sensational performance by the band. And um, we decided it's, you know, the word epic right. is overused. Sometimes it's almost a cliche, but that performance caught the, uh, the Allman Brothers at their pinnacle, WPLJ in New York, uh, had been doing a series of in-studio concerts. The, the, the great Elton John album, 111770, that started Elton's ascension was a PLJ production hosted mm -hmm. by Derv, Dave Herman, the legendary DJ. Delaney and Bonnie did one, and then the Allman Brothers came in 
And man, oh man, oh man, it was, I think, sound quality, absolutely. The radio broadcast from a studio, A&R Studios. But the fact that they played in front of a very, very intimate crowd, mm -hmm. uh, tightly gathered around each other, uh, no distractions, um, they, they were hitting the note that day. And um, Dwayne's moving tribute to his friend King Curtis, the saxophone player who he had done a lot of session work with, who had been murdered uh, shortly before this broadcast, uh, seven minutes into You Don't Love Me, spontaneous, and the Allman Brothers were the best at this, they broke into a improvised rendition, instrumental rendition of Soul Serenade, uh, right. the King Curtis classic. And it's three or four minutes of the most emotionally charged improvised music I've ever heard. So A&R uh, is, is perfect. And so we decided to re-release it in a limited edition vinyl to help benefit the Red Door Foundation, which uh, raises money to help victims of cancer and their families. It was originally founded in honor of Gilbert Radner uh, and has continued on. And so it's a great cause. Money goes to a, a wonderful foundation and the fans get to enjoy the warmth of A&R on vinyl now, which is extraordinarily cool. That is very cool. And I'm glad you brought up the uh, part about King Curtis because um, it was very touching and um, and moving because, you know, fan realizing that, you know, what's going to happen to Dwayne, um, hmm. he won't have long to live. And it's just, God, it's um, it's poignant. It's a poignant part of that uh, of that of that vinyl record. Yeah, and I, that, that's the right word, Pat. It was poignant knowing what was to come, right. um, you know, and that the band themselves would soon be expressing sorrow through music when they soldiered on without Dwayne. Right. So yeah, um, you know, I think because Dwayne's time in the band was so short, it's magnified. Um, you know, you can look at a band that's, that, that's gone on for a long time and you can run entire decades together. Where with the Allman Brothers, with Dwayne and Barry Oakley, you know, you're, you're, you look at weeks, <laughs> you look at months for major evolution. And which they did. Uh, because they played so much. The difference, Pat, between the January 71 show at Syria Mosque and the October show, the evolution of the band, I mean, they, they grew exponentially week by week simply through playing and playing and playing. Um, and it's so cool to hear songs, you know, develop, morph, and, and, and turn into something completely different than how the band originally envisioned it. Yes, well, they play. Go ahead. Go ahead. I look at Dwayne as like um, Jimi Hendrix uh, dying too young. He was, both of them were so talented, so young. I mean, can you imagine if, if they lived um, the stuff they would have been putting out? Uh, it's just hard to fathom, man. 
Dwayne, Jimmy, people like that. It, it's it's you know you can play that classic what if game right. for forever. Um, and we do it quite a bit in our little circle. Um, you know what if Dwayne had lived? I think yes, he was getting into jazz. He was very influenced by Jamo, the drummer, about yeah, James. You right. know, he played a, 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 one of the best Dwayne Allman albums that people may not be aware of is when he played with Herbie Mann on an album called Push Push. Uh, Herbie Mann, tremendous flute player. Dwayne went in there cold and just like he did with Layla, Derek and the Dominoes, he turned that whole session around. He brought his right. own touch to it. Richard at the museum likes to point out at the same time, though, Dwayne towards the end was getting way into some some almost heavy metal sounding things. And, you know, was he being influenced by Black Sabbath Zeppelin? Probably because they they listened to everything. So from from jazz to heavy metal and everything in between. God knows what Dwayne Allman would have done, but he would have done it great. No doubt about that. Well, that's what makes uh, great musicians even better is that they're willing to explore other sounds. And, you know, Hendrix did it. He probably would have gotten into funk or something, Hendrix. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you, you never know. Um, yeah, you're right. You could play this this game in your head. What if? Um, it's a sad game to play, but... Uh, there would have been some powerful music that uh, we all missed out on. Um, I'm going to, now I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. If you had to pick a couple of live performances by the almonds, your favorites, what would they be? We talking about the original lineup. Yeah. Well, uh, actually you could be, you know, if you want to pick something else, that's fine. Well, since today's focus is on the original lineup <laughs> down the road, you know, when we continue to release things as we get into the Warren Haynes, Derek Trucks era, we can talk about that. Um, if I had to, if I really had to drill down, um, there's a difference between what's commercially available and mm -hmm what's listenable through collectors and such um you know very difficult to not say Fillmore east i mean his greatest live performance album of all time what i will what i love to point out to people though is several years back we put out january 1971 about 10 days after this syria moss show actually the Allman Brothers at Fillmore West. And that is commercially available. And, you know, you don't want to sound uh, out of your mind or, you know, like you're, you know, committing blasphemy or something. But there are moments on Fillmore West, January 1971, that equal Fillmore East. And when you listen to it, you can hear the trajectory of the band. They're on an upward slope. They're hitting on all cylinders. The creativity is flowing. You can actually listen to Syria Mosque, Fillmore West, Fillmore East, and it all makes sense. And it's fascinating, the evolution of certain songs. 
like Elizabeth Reed, like You Don't Love Me. Uh, there's a tremendous dreams on Fillmore West that is is just it's stratospheric what Dwayne does on that. But it's not just Dwayne, you know, Pat. Let's and this is easy to do because Dwayne is such a you know legendary player. He had five other guys that he hand chose for a reason. And they were as good at their craft as he was at his. Uh, everybody different? Sure. Eclectic? Absolutely. Uh, sort of a, a, a witch's brew of talent thrown into a pot and combustible? You bet. But Dwayne had a reason that he chose Dickie Betts and Barry Oakley and Butch Trucks and J-Mo and his younger brother, Greg. And man, it worked out. So anyway, if you had to ask me, Pat, after Fillmore East, I'm going to go with Fillmore West, January 1971. It is available. Uh, and if you have not purchased it, our fans out there, uh, you don't know what you're missing. You know, I always find it interesting how venues themselves can um, impact the way the band comes off. Um, in the same issue as the Almonds, we do an interview with Mickey Hart of the Dead, and yeah, his favorite uh, venue was Madison Square Garden. He said because of the sound, there weren't any nooks and crannies that the sound can disappear in. Um, don't you find that fascinating? How all these different venues can, uh, you know, magically, you know, enhance the band, or they could take away. You know, that great, great point you brought up because a moment ago we were talking about favorite shows mm. commercially. Well, there's a lot of, you know, tapes, uh, collectors, bootlegs from, I think, the venue, the band, the original band probably played best at. And that was a place called The Warehouse in New Orleans. They actually played The Warehouse the original six more than they played Fillmore East. Uh, and I mean, it was just an old converted, well, warehouse right on the, on the river, the Mississippi river, 1820 Chapatula street. And it was sweaty and nasty. Uh, but man, they would get in there and they blew it out in the warehouse. Uh, you know, there's a couple warehouse tapes that are borderline releasable. Uh, and if Bill and Jason could do some of their magic, people would get a chance to hear what I'm talking about. But I, I agree with what you're talking about, the dead in the garden. Yeah, certain venues, the brothers never played a bad show at the warehouse in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah. Um, you know, in other places, you know, bands never had a good show <laughs> at some places. Uh, right. You know, it, there's no rhyme or reason to it, but there certainly is a pattern, no doubt. Right. Yeah, there are certain there are certain venues I won't go to because or arenas because um, I just feel that um, I'm not going to get that the sound I want um, to hear, and I'm sure other fans feel the same way. Um, so then you might skip a tour um, because you don't like what what the where you're going. Uh, oh, you may love the absolutely. band, 
um now next year can you say a little bit hints of what's on the horizon for releases yeah i mean um we want syria moss to get out there uh we yeah. want people to enjoy it and you know you talk about a great venue uh obviously for the band to play in january then go back in october when they had never even played pittsburgh there was something about syria mosque that they really liked and you know the october show ended up being Dwayne's third to last performance um so you know people are really really going to be happy with syria mosque uh the liz reed on there is 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 just i mean yes Every song is good. Liz Reed is 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 incredible, as is the Whipping Post. Uh, you know, Whipping Post was their traditional set closer. Right. Sometimes they had encore with a mountain jam if they had the opportunity to keep playing. But this Whipping Post is is remarkable. Um, yeah. It's it's a powerful song. Understatement of a lifetime. Uh, a lot of fans felt it was the ultimate way to close the show. You know. Yeah, I mean, what what else can you play after Whipping Post except Mountain Jam? You right. know, because that's the only thing that's going to approach the 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 power and and majesty of that song. Um, so people are going to love Siri Mosque. It's got a great cover that Terry Bradley did. Uh, it's from a poster uh, for the show. Looks great. Nice photos on the inside, but you know, packaging is packaging. It's it's the sound you want, and this is a tremendous sound performance combination. So that being said, what are we looking at? Uh, we are looking at, and I'll tell you, Pat, this is an era of the Almond Brothers that's often overlooked uh, and was very brief, but may be the most important era of the almonds and that was the five-man band period in 1972 after Dwayne died when, when the band carried on because they had to or they all would have gone crazy and you they did about 90 shows in 1972 and it is an extraordinary period because you have five guys grieving and yet they they need to keep performing and yet they want to put out at the same time quality music you know uh so the adjustment of the five-man band as we like to call it is amazing dickie's got to step up and he did he's now the only guitar player uh where you know that void how do you fill that void you don't you work around the void of Dwayne allman and he was aided and abetted by everybody else in the band. Barry Oakley's bass playing during the five-man band period. He was playing bass and lead guitar at the same time. You know, everybody worked together. Greg's work on, on the Hammond B3 was the best of his career. Uh, Butch and Jamo were at another level. And so in their grief, um, they, they not only soldiered on, they created a new sound that you never heard again because in late 72 they the band was smart enough pat not to bring in another guitar player that you want to be that person uh you no. know no it's not going to work so sort of a happy accident they settled they settled on chuck lavelle 
the keyboard player, you know, rock pianist extraordinaire. And uh, Chuck brought a whole new element to the band. He was a powerful enough player to match Dickie, but it wasn't guitar versus guitar. You've got keyboard, piano versus guitar. And, you know, they went on to make the Brothers and Sisters album and, and you know, say no more. Rambling Man, Jessica, Come and Go Blues, etc. Um, so we are looking at some shows from 1972 just to point that out to people. Um, and I think I think uh, people are going to be blown away by what they hear, particularly Oakley. Uh, it's off the chain what a bass player could do um, to add to the sound of a band. Are we still looking for original six material? Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, you, you do have the, the brothers and sisters period and obviously the longest existing lineup, the Warren Haynes, Derek trucks lineup. And we've got some, you know, we probably, if it's a good problem there's so much what do you choose i would love to hear some warehouse stuff but um yeah if, if bill and jason can can work their magic there's a couple that uh there's an extraordinary one from september of 1971 uh it's one of the very few live performances of blue sky with Dwayne on it and it's it's extraordinary um and so we'll see but the 72 stuff it's just a matter of what do we decide on but i think you know i don't want to speak for bird and the team but i do feel that 72 is at the top of the list right now i gotta say you commented on packaging and you're right even though the music is the most important thing with record collectors or music collectors, packaging is important. And, and the artwork, of course, is important. And on the Syria Mosque, and, uh, you know, we have on the cover of the magazine, the art from um, Johannes, the, the album Where It All Begins, um, there's that iconic mushroom. Now, as as you you know how the, the evolution of that how did that begin? Who came up with that? What now? Maybe you can explain it. Maybe there are some things that the fans don't know about with that sort of uh, iconic. Sure, I mean it, it. It's pretty basic and straightforward. Uh, when the band first got to Macon, um, a friend came through town uh, with some psilocybin, magic mushrooms, and. Um, the band uh, quickly uh, realized the creative power the mushrooms gave them. You know, they would they would drop some mushrooms and they would go jam for hours. And, and it did bring out, you know, tremendous creativity. So it was actually Dwayne's idea to make the mushroom the band's first symbol. The all the original the original six got mushroom tattoos, a little green mushroom tattoo on, on their right calf, as did the original road crew. And it, it did become iconic with Allman Brothers fans. Uh, 
to see that mushroom later on, you know, if, if Dickie or Butch or Greg was in a pair of shorts or Red Dog or whoever, it reminded you of that original brotherhood. And, you know, listen, the stones have the tongue, you know, the dead has, you know, skull roses, dancing bears. The brothers have the mushroom. And then, of course, secondarily, they have the peach. Uh, true. But the mushroom was the original brand. It was their first T-shirt. And, um, you know, it, it came like so many things from the band's founder, Dwayne Allman. Yeah. I mean, there's um, in this issue, we cover a lot of some of the artwork. Um, and there's this beautiful piece where there's a girl, um, almost like a pixie, uh, standing or part of the mushroom. Uh, that was done by Johannes too. And, and, and just all the merchandise and uh, it's great. And, and why I like the uh, 90s album, Where It All Begins, not the title, you know, and it has that mushroom, like you said, the magic. It's almost like it's shining out. And that's one of the reasons why we picked it as, as a cover. And you have that artwork in the museum, correct? We do. We do. We It's, it's on the wall in our gift shop and, and, and we're very, very happy to have it. And, um, an interesting sidebar about where it all begins is there was a notion at one point of perhaps putting the big house oh. on the, uh, on the, on the cover that, that idea got floated. Uh, but it all depends on, upon your point of view, because some of the guys, we're cool with it, but ultimately it was pointed out that in some ways it's not where it all began. It was actually where it all ended mm. because Dwayne died. Dwayne's accident occurred after he left the big house, less than a mile. Barry's accident a little over a year later, three blocks from where Dwayne's accident site was Barry was coming back to the big house when he had his accident. So in the notion, and I get it completely, it's not where it all began, it's where it all ended. And so that's why it moved on to the mushroom and it ended up being a great cover. So yeah, I never thought of that. You're right. Um, there's another, that's another poignant fact right there. Um, well, thank you so much. One thing I wanted to go over is that not only are you keeping the almonds alive and on the radar, but there's so much talent you know, you got this almond family revival thing going on. Um, you know, you got Tedeschi trucks. <laughs> yeah. just, I mean, I got to say, I think Derek trucks is one of the best guitarists out there. He, when I listen to him, it's like Dwayne Allman. It blows me away. It brings a chill up my spine when I hear his solos. So there's a lot of the tree of the almonds, if you want to call it. It has sprouted so much talent. It's unbelievable. You know, Pat, that is such a, a great point. As we talked about earlier, Dwayne was around for 5% of the band's history, period. The other 95% was without him. However, the bar he set was so high that one thing that never wavered was musical integrity. If you look at the player's in the Allman Brothers band, okay? 
Rolling Stones top 100 guitar players. Okay. Four of them are from the Allman Brothers band. Right. Dwayne, Dickie, Warren, and Derek. No other band can say that. Chuck Lavelle has had an unbelievable career after the Allman Brothers, obviously oh, yeah. with the Rolling Stones. Say no more. Oteil Burbridge now plays bass with Dead and Company. Mark Quinones plays percussion with, with the Doobie Brothers. I mean, these guys and what Derek and Susan do with TTB, please, what Warren has done with Government Mule and Phil and Friends and The Last Waltz, I mean, uh, you're right. And then the next generation, Dwayne Betts, Devin Allman, Barry Oakley Jr., are you kidding me? Uh, Dwayne Trucks in Widespread Panic. I mean, there's something in that Almond's water, no doubt about it. It's mind-blowing. It is, man. It is mind-blowing. And, you know, that's why it's great that they're keeping the legacy alive in various ways, and that's why it's so important to us to pass this great music on to the next generation. Uh, we don't want it to go away with the original fans, and I don't think it's going to. Great music is timeless, and Almond Brothers music is timeless, no doubt. Well, thank you, John, for being part of this this episode. And and I just want to say to uh, listeners, uh, there'll be a lot more that uh, in depth stuff um, that John goes over in the in the new issue, the December January two thousand twenty three issue, uh, has Allman Brothers Band on the cover. And John, I know there'll be a lot more to come. Uh, I'm excited about twenty twenty three and onward. So and we'll we'll be covering it. So we'll be talking to you again soon. I can't wait, Pat. I always enjoy this working with you, working with Ray, working with Goldmind is, is is a true honor. And we appreciate your support of the Almond Brothers band. And yeah, man, I look forward to the next time. This is always fun, Pat. Thank you so much. All right, you take care of yourself. Bye now. All right, bye bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.